1: This is the Starship Sova. Everybody welcome. Hello and welcome to show number 631. I am your host, Tony C. Smith. Hello everyone. I hope everyone is fine and dandy. I'm recording this guess what, at 10 to 6. Oh, yes man, it's just things are just, it's, it's getting harder. And you will have noticed last week we did not come out. Yes, we've made the decision at the moment to run every fortnight with this coronavirus thing that's just like hideously thing that's happened to the world. It's actually, would you believe, happened, you know, it's kind of causing... You would think it wouldn't, you know, everyone at home being able to kind of get some good shows out. But it's just, it's making it awkward, to be honest. And I don't want to go into details, but we're struggling to get stories and get them to read. And it's just very strange times. And to be honest, at the very beginning of this, I honestly thought, you know, this wouldn't affect Starship so But it has so... Apologies, please keep support and keep going on to, to Patreon. Do you know what I mean? And, and helping with their, it's it's kind of now more than ever. It's we're a little bit kind of just in strange waters, and if if things go, I don't know. We'll just wait and see. But we you know we're gonna go at the moment for once a fortnight. So anyways, anyways, what we got on the show? We have Sean Robinson with "Souvenir Hungered in the City of Spiders. And we have it's our very own Amy H. Sturgis. That's all coming in day show. I do hope you will stick around and enjoy it. So like I say, the main fiction is Soothing Hungered in the City of Spiders. I'm not sure if I'm saying that right or not, but it's by Sean Robinson. It's original to Starship Sova. Sean lives in the White Mountains of New Hampshire. In other lives, he's been a a splintler a fire breather, a cow herder. You can find them online at Robinson.com or on Twitter as well. Now, this story is narrated by Tatiana Gray. Tatiana is a critically acclaimed actress of stage, screen and the audio booth. She's been nominated for dozens of fancy awards, but I love reading this out, Tatiana. But hasn't won a single damn thing. She went to New York University and lives in Brooklyn. And you can find her at com. So, uh, this Starship Suva is very proud to present...
2: Suvian Hungered in the City of Spiders by Sean Robinson Narrated by Tatiana Gray My opponent shivered above the parapet in a scrap of cloth. If I was feeling kind, I could not call it a dress in good conscience. "'because it was rotten and exposed her cadaverous ribs. "'I looked into her eyes from my side of the arena, "'but the pale creature fought the wind, "'squared her shoulders, "'and let the words flow from her mouth. "'In the beginning, there was silence. "'In the beginning, there was fire. "'In the beginning, there was the brood. "'Beneath us, I could feel my brood "'answer the poetess's words.' The poem was unoriginal, so classically spoken it was a relic of a less refined age. But what would you expect from a woman dressed in rags? Her brood scuttled forward, goaded by her words and their collars. Collars that commanded us all, could destroy us all. I spoke my own poem. The night is dry and gently dark. The ground is firm and all the stars— Shine bright to show the way to blood. So up the brood of Nyx to war. The scream, as the brood moved at my words, brought an even greater roar from the crowd. I did not smile. I dug my toes into the worn stone of my spire. We stood hundreds of feet above the battle, but we knew. She was defeated. But I thought better of her when let fly another few words, defiant to the end. First was born the brood, second was born man, third was born the masters. Another ancient poem, one of many. Her eight-legged warriors tried to answer, but it was too little too late. I could feel how starved they were, how desperate. They fought because their poetess loved them, even though they failed, and the years had made their armor weak and their eyesight clouded. Their collars were old, and the poet's words lacked. I could have prolonged it, dragged out the fight, took her brood one at a time, and forced her to watch each of her charges die. It would have brought me glory. But her tears were bright in the light of the arena. She did not look away as my spiders ripped hers apart. Whatever was left of my heart that was not spider silk and poison twitched. Silver. Chaos. Poem. There are things you learn when you are the poetess of the hive, if you're careful. Never look a master in the eye, though they are beautiful. Speak softly if spoken to. Use no words that are unique in all the world. My brood went mad, and the cheers of the crowd drowned out whatever else I might have said. I watched, and... "'I wished Torin had been there to see me. "'When it was over, I dove from my perch, as was expected. "'The webs around the arena were strong enough to keep the brood contained, "'and they were more than enough to catch me as I fell. "'It was a bit of theatre, expected of Suvian, of Nick's hive. "'The masters cheered above, ignoring where their great bodies "'knocked into the men and women brought as their attendants. "'Theirs was not my duty.' "'and I was thankful for that. "'A single, high-pierced scream above me "'erupted as my defeated opponent leapt as well. "'I had no prayer for her, "'but did not look away as she fell. "'Her brood was dead. "'Her hive would do worse than kill her. "'She did not aim for the webs, "'and I did not look away. "'In the pit, I was surrounded Spiders many times my size brushed against me with smooth armor. I touched them each, one at a time. I spoke each of their names. Simple sounds. They chirped as I passed through them. The sun. It passes. Calling us to sleep. Its song is dark. Calling us into the deep. Simple poems. Simple words of calming. They had eaten from their enemies, but still they hungered. I hungered with them, and felt that hunger like a stab in the gut, as the Hive Queen scuttled forward to address the arena high above me. I glanced at the Echt brood. Some still twitched, their minds not quite giving in to the deaths of their poetess and the deaths of their lives. They clung on, not too unlike humanity. We clung on even as the world moved farther and farther away from the place we had known, before the brood, before the masters. I understood hanging on. I hung on to a memory, and hate, and rage. I hung on to the last time I'd seen Torin. Thinking of him made my chest ache. In the arena was no place to ache. There was nothing among the corpses that I wanted as a war prize. It was a quick thing to strip the spiders of their collars, metal and steel and glass. They were relics and rare. I began to turn away when something caught my eye. My brood was still restless, the sound of their voices a sharp dissonance. "'Let each be perfect. Let each be kind. Let each know peace. Let each find.' where dark dreams cease. My mother had said it to me as a child, cradling and rocking me back and forth, rubbing where my collar chafed my young skin. I had taught it to the brood, but they did not settle. There was something in the pile of corpses, something that pulsed dully in the pit. One of the ect brood clung to life. Its black eyes burned into mine as I approached, flanked by my own spiders. Its green lifeblood soaked the mud from a gash in its side the thorax was as tall as I was. In the space where its chest met its legs, the spider hid something. It twitched. Once, twice, and died. What I pulled free was the size of my two-cupped hands. All around me, the brood skittered and chirped. An egg In the hours that followed, I clutched the egg to my chest. As I led the brood out of the arena, guided them into the dark pit beneath the hive that was their home, and locked the gates behind me, I shuddered, my breath coming quick. I didn't dare look for more than a moment. Torin, I said into the dark to the man who might have been my husband if the world were kinder, "'an egg, a queen egg.' because it could be nothing else. Not when I could hear the brood trying to get back through the door, when they had not answered to my words when I spoke them, bound as they were by their collars, as they hadn't ever ignored me in the time that I had been the poetess. In the dark caves where man lived at the whims of masters, we told ourselves that man had been first, no matter what the oldest stories said. Then the brood. Then the master's. Man was a dying breed, a novelty kept for pet generals. The brood were dying too, torn apart by the blood sport that the masters so relished. The ect brood had been ancient and ready to die. My mother had won forty challenges by the time she was my age. I had won ten. Because they had been coming fewer and fewer as the hives no longer held brood at their heart— A prize was cradled in my hands, growing moment by moment. Inside the pale yellow shell was something that was spoken of in whispers, passed from poet to poet. How had the cadaverous girl gotten it? The tunnels were quiet. The masters would turn their attention from the arena to the feast that followed, and there were none of their long-limbed forms in the darkness but I kept to the shadows anyway. My chest was beating too quickly. What I held could change everything. Torin and I had dreamed what it would mean, what it could mean to have a brood queen to command. There had been none in years, decades. And if I were to raise one, command one, there was no vengeance I could not take, no debt of pain and tears and blood I could not repay. Sylvian, "'I slowed, feeling my stomach cramp. Sylvian, "'The Hive Queen sang. "'She stood with an entourage of smaller masters, "'arrayed around her like they were planets, "'and she their sun. "'A half-dozen smaller drones labored around her, "'pulling silk from her thorax, "'hovering for her to make her whims known. "'My Poetess!' "'My Queen!' "'I said, and dropped to my knees. "'The stone beneath me was broken and jagged, dug into my skin. "'I looked up and took in the Hive Queen. "'Her thorax shone in the torchlight. "'The tightness of her stomach led up to bared breasts "'and high-arched bones of her face. "'The pointed ears and thick-coiled hair "'marked her as an unusual beauty among the hives. "'The collar around her neck was tarnished silver.' It commanded every crew in the hive. Our guests did not enjoy the entertainment as much as I did. Rise and let them see who bested the poet. Three smaller masters stood, pale and sickly, in a world made up of hives that littered the landscape and fought for territory, for crew, for whatever it was that mattered to the masters. They did not look prosperous. My queen you do me greatest praise,' I breathed, breaking the words. "'I live to serve the hive always.' She smiled. "'They believe that their poet will best you at last, my Suvian, my poetess, "'with words sweeter than any meat and flesh. "'What do you say to them?' "'Oh, come with words of thunder bleak,' I said. "'looking at them with the arrogance that was a lie as my palms grew sweaty. "'If the Hive Queen saw the egg, there would be no questions, "'and the plants that had grown in the few moments I'd claimed it would die in the dark. "'And bring a poet with words to speak.' "'Well spoken,' she said. "'I hope that your silver tongue is as sharp two days hence "'when you and my brood take the arena again.' "'The smaller masters grumbled.' "'but my mistress laughed. "'Her drones chittered, "'and they took their leave of the hallway "'and left me to move as quickly as I dared to. "'The kitchens were quiet. "'Whatever was prepared for the masters "'was already on the long tables. "'There were no multiple courses, no finery, "'just hunger and greed and power. "'There would be deaths tonight people that I had known as a child who would never find their way home again. But Mira sat in her chair, rocking back and forth. Her skin was pale like mine, her hair the dusty brown of Torren's, the daughter that had grown inside me, that gave me reason to keep fighting. Hello, Sylvian. Hello, my dearest heart, I replied and pressed a hasty kiss on her temple. She frowned at me, "'even if she couldn't see me. "'You smell.' "'I ran my fingers down the side of her face. "'Her eyes were white, and she could not see. "'At first Mira had been meant to feed the master's table, "'but I had fought and taught her the words "'to make the brood obey. "'If she did not see, she would sing, "'and so long as I was poetess, no harm would come to her. "'The hive has begun to frenzy,' she said. You won. Perhaps more than expected, I said, crouching beside her. I took one small hand in mine and brought it to the egg that I held closer to me, like another child. Her eyes went wide. Suvian! Shh! I said, pulling away. What do you have? A chance, I said as I moved to the pot that bubbled on the fire. Inside was gruel. Rice and beans and flour mashed together to make something that filled the belly, even if it was burn, even if there were bits of metal from the pot that had scraped and scorched their way into the food. But even the flat plains of my words didn't mollify my daughter, who was old before she was young and had learned everything I could teach her long before I thought I'd run out of things to teach. "'If they find out!' her words trailed off. "'There were tears in her eyes. Souvian? "'They won't find out,' I said. "'You're just like your mother.' "'I left my bowl of gruel beside the smoky fire, "'setting the egg beside it. "'I crossed the kitchen to take my daughter in my arms. "'When had she gotten so big? "'Mira had been five when my mother had failed the brood in the hive, "'but my mother hadn't been brave enough to throw herself from the arena.' She had crawled back down the spire, and the Hive Queen had been displeased. My daughter and I had been made to stand witness, because there was no failure in the Nix hive. And when a crew failed, their only purpose was to serve the hive in another way. I did not look away when the eggs hatched and my mother screamed. It was the only thing I could do, be stronger than my mother had been, strong enough to pay back what my family, my people, were owed. I listened, and vowed to make her murder the line of a poem that would shake the hive to its core. "'I'll tell the Hive Queen that I found it,' my two old daughters said as we held on to each other. "'You are too important, and I—' "'No,' I said, pulling away. I held the egg tightly— "'and looked into her milky eyes. "'You will say nothing. "'I will say nothing. "'And when the time is right, "'we will find the words we need. "'Suvian!' "'It did no good to argue with her, "'though I had watched her born, "'had taught her the power of words, "'the sing-song croon of rhyme, "'had taught her to measure the sound "'from the click of my teeth in time "'with the creak of her chair.' knowing she grew inside me, had held me the day Torin was taken away, sold, or worse. So instead, I spoke the oldest poem I know, the first I learned, when my mother was the poetess of the Nix hive, and I was left to my grandmother's care. Once we fell like stars, searching the world for home. Once... We fell like tears to find the world we know. There was silence for a moment, and my daughter's arms tightened, and she spoke in a voice that would command the brood when I had fallen. Once we were captains on a sea between worlds, searching for a harbor. Once we were explorers to make the world green. I knew. That the egg in my hand was my destiny but for a few moments i let myself remember remember Torin, remember my mother remember the friends that i had made when the nix hive was filled with humans before we died off one by one and only handfuls remained i remembered the stories i had been taught of life before we built up our cities of silver and steel We built up our words to make others feel. We learned and we taught and we made the world ours. I shouldered my way into the passage off the kitchen, where cracked stone gave way to smooth metal. The space was tight, barely enough for my shoulders to pass, jagged edges where metal had been cut or bent or broken as the years chased themselves. At the end of the corridor was a large room, full of bunks, Once they had held a family, or a dozen. Now there was only me, and the egg, and the dark. On my bunk, in the scraps of fabric that made my bed, I curled around the egg and let my tears flow. I remembered the sounds of my mother dying. I remembered Torin dragged away by the too pale skin of an eight-legged master. I imagined my grandmother ripped from her rocking chair by the Hive Queen. I imagined the poor girl in rags across the arena from me, throwing herself to her death. I whispered the words that my mind gave up, spoke them to the egg where they would hurt no one, and then let myself drift off to sleep. Came then the day where the star captains cried. Came then the dusk where the spiders arised. Came then the night when good people died. "'came then the dawn that we'd been denied. "'Morning came too soon. "'The egg was warm, and I woke with it pressed to my cheek. "'I could feel it move as if the brood queen inside of it "'tested her legs against the inside of the shell, "'or if there was a heartbeat within it. "'Wake up, wake up,' the spider queen said. "'Wake up, wake up, or we'll wish we were dead.' The sun is shining, though the fields are bare. Another day's come to cast off despair. I smiled despite myself. The words came quick and easy. When had that happened last? When had I found words that weren't jagged edges? I smiled, and then let the sides of my mouth fall back into place. It had been with Torin. "'curled around each other in my bunk, "'playing with words and rhymes and rhythm, "'teaching each other the poems we'd learned as children "'and the secret ones we'd learned "'that kept hope alive in the hive. "'When I crawled through the passageways to the kitchen, "'my daughter still sat in her chair. "'I kissed her, "'pressed the brood queen egg into her hands, "'and kept walking. "'The hive was quiet, "'the halls nearly empty.' And as I slipped into the great chamber that was the Hive Queen's throne room, I knew why. There were masters addressing the throne, the ones from last night, pale and sickly. Behind them were half a dozen humans changed to a box of steel. There were words on the side, in the language of all relics. But I could hear the tapping of brood legs against metal. "'My poetess!' the Hive Queen called. I moved, careful not to get too close to the other humans or the masters. I knelt before the queen, not looking up into her too-beautiful face, or even at the black carapace of her body. "'Your newest challenge has arrived, my poetess,' she said. "'You will do me honor when you enter the arena. It will be beautiful. Will you not look?' the Hive Queen asked. "'Will you not see who believes they will make sweeter words than you, my Suvian? "'It was not an invitation, not from the queen who had fed her young on my mother. "'I looked up. It was a poet, male, his skin a pale color. "'I noticed the place near his neck, where a thick mound of scar was paler than his skin.' I followed the line of the damage up, saw the sharp point of his chin, a long fall of hair from the middle of his head, and then saw his eyes. The last time I had seen his eyes, I had knelt in the same place as the Hive Queen told us that the nix Hive only needed one poet, that two was too many, that Torin was told. The last time— I had seen those eyes. He had been ripped out of my arms, screaming by one of the Hive Queen's brood. I had tried to fight with my pale arms. I hadn't learned the power of words. And in a contest against one of the masters, only words mattered. I had never seen the man who was to be my husband again. Torin. The name slipped from my mouth, the Hive Queen chittered, a sound that scraped my nerves raw. I looked up, unable to stop myself. There was a smile across her too-beautiful face. It was the same smile that she'd worn the day my lover was taken away, the same smile the day my mother had been fed to the Hive Queen's young. Torin, I stood. "'Ignoring the masters, but he didn't. "'He didn't look up from the ground. "'In the torchlight I traced the planes of his face with my eyes, "'stopping to see the tight knot of scar "'that crawled up the side of his neck. Torin. "'But he said nothing. "'I won't do it,' I said. "'I will not.' "'It seems,' the Hive Queen said to the other masters, "'her voice still warm and pleased despite my disrespect.' "'that my poetess has a better memory than yours. "'Ah, but look! "'Perhaps there is something that might spurn us forward.' "'A master, small and pale, "'walked through the doorway, "'holding my daughter in his arms. "'She didn't struggle. "'She didn't kick. "'But she held the egg I'd given her to keep safe. "'And what does this little crew member "'hold in her hand, I wonder?' "'the Hive Queen said and stepped forward. "'Will it be enough to make my poetess obedient? "'Or will it feed my young when they are born? Hmm. "'Terror gripped my stomach. "'Fear that spun around me and threatened to consume the world. "'I was moving before I thought better of it, "'before I could weigh decisions in their cost, "'because the Master held my daughter and I would not watch her die. "'Dark is the spider!' "'Bleak is the chulling chaos that burns with iron.' "'The gathered masters fell back as if they'd been struck. "'And they had, by words from the mouth of the Poetess of Nix. "'I closed the distance to where the masters still held my daughter in his arms. "'He was pale and ugly, his lips were red, "'and he skittered backwards as my foot found the bend in one of his legs, "'and I climbed him fast, throwing an arm around his throat and hissing into his ear. "'Ninth corpse.' false he went down hard but i rolled over with his weight the other masters had pulled back even the hive queen whose smile had fled her face my daughter hit the ground but there was no time and there was no escape except through the death of every spider in the throne room and there were no words that would actually kill the masters i charged the relic box that contained the rival brood there were long metal poles holding it closed, but inside I could hear the scraping of legs and fangs against the metal. The plan, building in the ground of my desperation, had little chance of success. But it could buy Mira and I time. Time enough for Torin and I, with our brood. We could sweep the hive, kill them all, make sure we kept our daughter safe. Torin finally moved, coming up beside me. I couldn't lift the last bar but I could hear the brood. Help me! I felt a sharp pain on the back of my head, and then there was nothing. I awoke to darkness. My head throbbed. It came back in flashes. Mira, Torin, the egg, the Hive Queen's smile. I could taste bile in my mouth, and as I sat up, my head swam. Suvian? I heard a little voice. I reached toward it, grabbed my daughter, and pulled her to me. I'm sorry, Suvian. I'm sorry. The darkness was absolute, but I could feel her shuddering tears. It's all right, love. It's all right. I rocked her back and forth, as I had when she was small. Muttered fragments of the poems my own mother had taught me as a child. Silly, simple things that were easy to remember. Poems about ants and sheep and the letters of the alphabet the masters used. But most of the crew couldn't read. The brood were farther out in the darkness, keeping their distance. Whoever had thrown my daughter and I had been brave to face down the brood. But my breath caught. "'Do you know who brought us down here?' I asked. "'A man,' Mira said. "'Crew, I don't know him. "'He opened the door and set you down. "'Who was he, Suvian?' I wanted to cry. In all my imagining, in all the nights I had cried myself to sleep, we sat in the brood-lair beneath the hive, locked in with the spiders that were mine to command, because I was the poetess of the hive, here because the man who had been my love, my almost husband, the father of my child. Hush now, I said, pressing my face into her hair. They will call us to the arena soon, And there are things that must be said, poems that must be spoken. Because inch by inch, the wordless pain inside my heart was turning brittle. The words that had kept me moving through the hive, through the battles, through the pain, were running out, leaving the words for ending, for new beginnings, for vengeance. And I told my daughter the story, the only story she did not know the story my mother had told me on the day she went to face her last battle. The masters had webbed the brood queen egg between the two spires above the arena. A brood queen could birth a thousand brood a day. The broodlings were biddable if they were collared early, and collaring the brood queen would bring all her spawn to heel to the poet who dared but my eyes glanced off the egg as I climbed up to my perch. Across the open space, Torin was waiting. So were the collected masters, cheering and chirping and screaming across the arena. So was the Hive Queen. "'Behold the poets!' she cried. "'Theater, useless theater.' Mira was in the pit with the brood, carefully nestled in the side of the rocks." It wasn't safe. She could be trampled. She could be poisoned and ripped apart. But it was the best I could do. Not the best. The best came as the man I had once loved opened his mouth. In the city, dark and bleak, two hearts were born and made to speak, the words of love between inside the hive of things unseen. Beloved was Torin, beloved of Suvian, in the city, dark and bleak. Whatever words he had planned, they fell silent. He stared across the distance, and I watched him breathe in. Sold was Torin, son of shipmakers, sold was Torin, into the arms of pain, to learn the words spoken in screams or poems or not at all. Beneath us, the two broods moved forward on angry legs. There was a cheer in the stands, more and more. The masters wanted blood, and the Hive Queen wanted to watch me kill the man I'd loved. I said again, The poems we speak are lies, they tell, of when the world was made and fell. To masters dark and brood, we say, we crew were made to dark obey. The crowd liked that less much less. But there was a crew in the stands who were listening, and a little girl in the arena who mattered to me more than anything, a little girl I had carried inside me, had fought for, would die for. But Torin had words as well, and beneath us they spurned the battle. First was born the brood. Second was born man. Third was born the masters. His spiders were younger, fitter, and in my heart, The battle we fought on the spiders of the Nyx hive was not the battle for victory. I heard my daughter scream in the pit as the two sides fought. Born to Suvian, born to Torin, a girl child with her father's love for words, a girl child with her mother's love for words, born Mira, beloved, beloved, beloved. Torin stared. The hive queen moved forward from her throne. Fight! I looked around the arena, looked toward the brood below, looked at Torin on his spire, and spoke a last time. Spoke parent to child in the Nix hive. Poetess to poetess, since the first crew was collared and the world was still new. When we had sailed, the stars and found our home, waiting until the time was right. The time was never right, but the time was now. Daughter of captains! Daughter of stars, know these words, learn these words, for when hope is gone and all left is dying, words have power, great power, all power. Command code, dangerous, nine, wolf, six, seven, nine. There were screams from the arena. The collar around my neck burned, and I could hear the sound of metal breaking, could see the darkness shot through with sparks, where the collars the masters wore died. The relics broke, and I felt the collars slide from my neck. The Hive Queen howled. She lumbered forward to the spire and put her weight on it. Below me, the brood howled, free of their control, free of the words of poets or masters. But my daughter was still below. Blind in the dark. Sylvian! The hive queen screamed, but I could feel the tremor of the stone beneath my feet. The spire wasn't meant for such weight. It cracked, and the choices that were mine to make winnowed away. I looked at Torin, whose hair was like a pennant in the wind. He stared, wordless. I jumped from the spire as it broke, taking the rock-firm brood-queen egg in my hands as the webbing broke, cradling it to me as I fell, too far out for the safety webs to catch me. Like the frail woman whose name I didn't know who'd brought me the egg. The egg that my daughter would find and hatch and teach, that my lover would guard in the hollow corpse of the Nick's hive. I did not shut my eyes as I fell, hoping for one last glimpse of my lover, of my daughter, of the egg that would keep them free, of the Hive Queen falling behind me.
1: And there you go. Huge thank you to Sean. Sean, thank you so much indeed. And Tatiana, thank you. I know these times are strange and very scary as well, so thank you for getting this story out to her.
3: Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.
1: So, listen, listen, the chair is up there. We've got our very own Miss Amy H. Sturgis.
4: Hello, my friends. It's time for another look back into genre history. These are difficult and challenging times and wherever you are i just want to send out my love and support to you i know that all around the world people are just like i am heartbroken and sad and grieving and i just want to recognize that we're all in this together and that my heart goes out to all of us and I also want to explain why I chose the topic I did for today. Throughout my life, I have used science fiction as a way of processing things, processing ideas, intellectually, processing emotionally and imaginatively. I go to the thought experiment and, frankly, the empathy experiment that is embedded in science fiction. When science fiction works, ask, what if... So I've been thinking a lot about what the world is facing right now, what each of us is facing, and there are several books of science fiction that focus on pandemics that really speak to me right now. I realize that pandemics in science fiction are ubiquitous, right? If I mention, hey, do you know a science fiction book about pandemics, you can probably think of a dozen off the top of your head. And these appear in science fiction from all over the world. I'm not trying in any way to do a a history, I can't even touch the tip of the iceberg right now, of these stories. But I'd like to just mention some that have really been on my mind, that are useful to me right now in thinking about what we're going through. And I'll explain what they are and why they're useful to me. They cover almost 200 years of... English language science fiction. And I'd just like to share them with you and recommend them to you if you are like me and you benefit from viewing science fiction as one of the lenses through which we can understand the world. And I'd like to point out that although some of the stuff we're going to talk about is a bit dark, we're going to end on a note of hope. And I think that's very important right now. So, Before I begin, I'd like to mention I've seen a lot of love online, a lot of recommendations for Edgar Allan Poe's 1842 gothic horror short story, The Mask of the Red Death, and that is absolutely relevant to our times. And I want to focus on novels in this segment, but just wanted to throw in a recommendation for that if the gothic is useful to you right now. You can find the text for The Mask of the Red Death online in many places. There are also some great audio versions of the short story. My favorite is probably a reading by the Irish actor Gabriel Byrne, which is available on YouTube. It's a very powerful interpretation of that story. I just want to throw in that recommendation and say, if the gothic is useful to you, you can't do better or more relevant right now than The Mask of the Red Death, the short story by Edgar Allan Poe. But now I'd like to transition to the first of four novels that I'd like to recommend and just share with you and tell you why I find them to be useful right now. Uh, This one, this first one, is one that I've mentioned before. In fact, it's one of my favorite novels, simply because it is so perceptive about the human condition, and it's just a deeply moving work. And that is The Last Man by Mary Wollstonecraft Shelley from 1826. The premise is that there is a world pandemic that leaves, well, The Last Man— In the introduction, Mary Shelley says that she discovered the story written as a collection of prophetic writings in 1818. That's an interesting year to choose, given that 1818 is when Frankenstein was published. But the point is that although the story, the main narrative, is set in the future... We are reading it from Mary Shelley's perspective. So this is perhaps a future that could be averted if these prophecies don't come true. She has edited, she says, these writings into this current first-person story of a man at the end of the 20th century. The story begins in 2073, and it ends in 2100. So it's interesting that she has a frame narrative that suggests that this hasn't happened yet, right? It's also interesting because even though it's set at the end of the 21st century, this is very clearly an autobiographical novel. You can, the more that you know about Mary Shelley's life, recognize characters as real people in her life, real historical people. You can see Percy Bysshe Shelley, you can see Lord Byron, for example, in these characters. And Mary Shelley herself is represented by the character of Lionel, the last man. Now, here's one of the reasons this really speaks to me. Mary Shelley isn't even 30 when this book comes out. And you can say, what does Mary Shelley really know about feeling like the last person on earth? And then you start thinking about Mary Shelley's life. She grew up in the shadow of her mother's death. Her mother lived only a few days after giving birth to her and died. And Mary thought a lot of Mary Wollstonecraft and her legacy and what it meant that her mother was dead. By the time this book was written... She had lost her older half-sister, Mary Wollstonecraft's first daughter, to suicide. The first wife of Percy Bysshe Shelley, uh, the wife he left, also committed suicide. And Mary herself had buried three of her four children. Now think about the amazing meeting of the minds in 1816 that ended up in the challenge to write a scary story that produced Frankenstein by Mary Shelley and The Vampire by John Polidori, that meeting of five individuals on Lake Geneva in 1816. Remember, that's only a decade before The Last Man comes out. Who was there? Well, Mary was there and her soon-to-be husband, Percy Bysshe Shelley, and Lord Byron and his doctor, John Polidori, and Claire Claremont, the stepsister of Mary. Now, flash forward to the time she's writing The Last Man. Percy Bysshe Shelley is dead. Lord Byron is dead. John Polidori is dead. Claire Claremont is still alive, but she had a daughter by Lord Byron who was dead. It's very easy to see how Mary Shelley felt like really the last person on the planet. But it's also extremely touching to see how she processes her loss and the world around her and how she should find courage in the midst of all of this loss by writing herself as Lionel, watching the world essentially disintegrate around her. And that brings me to something else too. This is a very perceptive criticism of the failure of institutions to deal with the pandemic. And in that sense, I think her critique comes across as a useful thought experiment, a useful warning, and frankly, something that we can identify with, or at least I can identify with. And so there's the chance to share a kind of fellow feeling here with a great writer across the centuries. Before I move on, I'd like to share just a passage. This is a bleak one, but remember, this is a future, she believes, that hasn't happened yet, and thus could be averted. Have any of you, my readers, observed the ruins of an anthill immediately after its destruction? At first, it appears entirely deserted of its former inhabitants. In a little time, you see an ant struggling through the upturned mold. They reappear by twos and threes, running hither and thither in search of their lost companions. Such were we upon earth, wondering aghast at the effects of pestilence. Our empty habitations remained, but the dwellers were gathered in the shades of the tomb. Well, that just gets me in the heart, to be honest. The Last Man is available for free online at Project Gutenberg, and there is an exceptionally good reading of The Last Man, a full unabridged audiobook available for free at LibriVox. So The Last Man is set In Europe. In fact, The Last Man covers quite a lot of ground, geographically speaking. The next book I want to talk about is set in North America, and it's called The Scarlet Plague by Jack London, and it was published in 1912. The year is 2073, and that is 60 years after the Great Pandemic of 2013, according to Jack London. And what interests me about this work, particularly right now, is the sense that even though there is this massive pandemic, people do survive. There is a sense that the wild has reclaimed North America, that where people were, now there is flora and fauna, that even the survivors, the next generations are somehow wilder. And while the effect of this, the what we end up with in terms of civilization or the lack thereof, uh, humanity or the lack thereof, it's not ideal, but it does show that life goes on. And there's a really fascinating disconnect between the generations that are growing up and the main character who lived through the pandemic and is trying to communicate what happened to young people who just really don't have any understanding of the world that came before. It's it's a very interesting book and a very affecting book. And I find it useful because it puts a lot of the emphasis on What kind of world will come after this? What kind of people will come after this? And again, it gives us warning, but it also gives us the opportunity with empathy and imagination to live through this, to experience this with the author. Before I move on, let me give you a quote from The Scarlet Plague. This is the character who lived through the pandemic. The fleeting system's lapse like foam, he mumbled, what was evidently a quotation. That's it, foam and fleeting. All man's toil upon the planet was just so much foam. He domesticated the serviceable animals, destroyed the hostile ones, and cleared the land of its wild vegetation, and then he passed. And the flood of primordial life rolled back again, sweeping his handiwork away. The weeds and the forest inundated his fields the beasts of prey swept over his flocks and now there are wolves on the cliff house beach he was appalled by the thought where four million people disported themselves the wild wolves roam today and the savage progeny of our loins with prehistoric weapons defend themselves against the fanged despoilers think of it and all because of the scarlet death Like The Last Man, you can find The Scarlet Plague on Project Gutenberg as a text, and you can find it on LibriVox as an audiobook. Now I'd like to move on to the 20th century, the second half, to 1992, with a novel that won both the Hugo Award and the Nebula Award for Best Novel, and that is The Doomsday Book by Connie Willis. This is another favorite of mine. It is set in a future in which Oxford has the ability to train its history graduate students using time travel. In fact, I read this book about graduate students in history at Oxford while I was a graduate student in history at Vanderbilt. And I identified with the main character, Kivrin, so much She wants to go back in time and do her research uh, as a time traveler, and ultimately she goes back, but there is a problem, and she ends up in the wrong time. She ends up in 1348 during the Black Death pandemic. Now, she should have been brought back immediately, but there's a twist here, and that is that in the future, in 2054 and 2055, there is actually a new epidemic of influenza, and that really just shuts Oxford and the whole area down. And so you have this narrative that switches back and forth between the Black Death in 1348 and this future epidemic in 2054 and 2055, and there are some really great insights here about the way people react to this kind of contagion, the way we think of historical people acting, and the way we would hope we would act in the future, and actually what's very much a common thread in human behavior across time. It really collapses the distance between the future and 1348. There are beautifully drawn characters here, and it's very easy to identify with them, even more so now, and go through these emotions with them. And I highly recommend the story. It is sad but hopeful, and it is extremely uplifting about really what brings all of humanity, binds all of humanity together. Two quick quotes from this book. One, none of the things one frets about ever happen. Something one's never thought of does. And well, I'm, I'm really feeling that, I must say. I identify with that one strongly, considering where we are right now. And the other quote is from our main character, Kivrin, the history student, looking back on being there during the Black Death, and she says, I wanted to come, and if I hadn't, they would have been all alone, and nobody would have ever known how frightened and brave and irreplaceable they were. This really is a beautiful book. Now, Connie Willis went on to write more books and certainly she has uh, also other short stories and novellas and such in this universe of Oxford and time travel I have to say none of them have lived up to this for me I am very happy to treat the Doomsday (laughs) book as a sort of standalone and but it works beautifully that way and so I do recommend this greatly and last I want to end with a very recent book an amazing book It is from 2018, and it is called Moon of the Crusted Snow by Wabgeshig Rice. It was nominated for the 2019 Ola Forest of Reading Evergreen Award, shortlisted for the John W. Campbell Memorial Award, shortlisted for the First Nation Communities Read Indigenous Literature Award, and the 2019 Women's National Book Association Great Group Reads. It was a pick for that. Wabgeshig Rice is an author and a journalist in Canada, and he is a member of the Wasogsing First Nation. And Moon of the Crusted Snow is set in the very near future. It is set in what could have been an hour from now, a day from now, very recognizable. And it is set in a small northern Anishinaabe community in Canada, a First Nations reserve. This is, well, I, I don't want to give too much away. That That is my danger here. So I'm just going to read the official book description. A daring post-apocalyptic thriller from a powerful rising literary voice. With winter looming, a small northern Anishinaabe community goes dark. Cut off, people become passive and confused. Panic builds as the food supply dwindles. While the band, council, and a pocket of community members struggle to maintain order, an unexpected visitor arrives, escaping the crumbling society to the south. Soon after, others follow. The community leadership loses its grip on power, as the visitors manipulate the tired and hungry to take control of the reserve. Tensions rise, and as the months pass, so does the death toll due to sickness and despair. Frustrated by the building chaos, a group of young friends and their families turn to the land and Anishinaabe tradition in hopes of helping their community thrive again. Guided through the chaos by an unlikely leader named Evan Whitesky, they endeavor to restore order while grappling with a grave decision. Blending action and allegory, moon of the crusted snow upends our expectations. Out of catastrophe comes resilience— And as one society collapses, another is reborn. So as you can see here, this is a story that gets quite bleak, but it's also remarkably hopeful. It is about the resilience of people. And... What's interesting, too, is the focus is not on what has gone wrong. Something has clearly gone wrong. Something has essentially shut down society to the south of this little community. And when I say south, I mean the majority of Canada, the United States, Mexico, possibly even beyond the Americas to the rest of the world. We don't really ever understand what it is. Pandemic is a really good guess. But the focus isn't on the tragedy. It isn't on the calamity. The focus is on how people treat each other. And it is particularly good to read in a time of social distancing and self-isolating and trying to think about how to stop the problem, flatten the curve, fill in your your phrase there, and also how to think of what comes next, and what we owe to each other. It is a perfect example of why I think indigenous futurism is so important and so vital, and it's also just the right book right now, at least for me. And so I wanted to share that with you. Let me give you a great quote from the book. And when it became clear to them that they were never supposed to last in this situation on this land in the first place— they decided to take control of their own destiny. Their ancestors were displaced from their original homeland in the South, and the white people who forced them here had never intended for them to survive. The collapse of the white man's modern systems further withered the Anishinaabeg here. But they refused to wither completely. And a corps of dedicated people had worked tirelessly to create their own settlement away from this town. So I said I'd end on a note of hope, and there you go. If you would like to, like I want to, walk this road we're on right now with some authors from the present and the past, with some science fiction texts to help you think about what's happening, and to give you both fellow feeling, a sense that others in the past have thought through and put themselves imaginatively in the shoes in which you're walking right now, and a sense of hope, of perspective on what comes next, what comes after, the world we're going to create when all of this is done. Well, I, I would recommend these four books. Those are The Last Man by Mary Shelley, The Scarlet Plague by Jack London, The Doomsday Book by Connie Willis, and The Moon of the Crusted Snow by Wabgeshig Rice. And I just want to send love and support to all of you, all of the members of our Starship Sofa family. I will be back again soon with something completely different, I promise, the next time we join together to look back again into genre history. Take care. Stay safe. Thank you. Amy... Amy, oh, just want to
1: squeeze your big hugs. You just stay so safe, lass. Two metres apart, that's what we're saying. I was doing that before Corona. You know what I mean? Grumpy old bugger me. Amy, thank you so much indeed. So that's it. Like I say, unprecedented times. And just all of you, stay safe. And like I say, two metres, wash your hands. Just do the basics at least. You know what I mean? Get them basics done and we'll see you in two weeks time look after yourself, take good care
0: you can learn more about the District of Wonders and their many literary productions at their website www.districtofwonders.com thank you for listening Pointing them to the moon But the work is going slowly Won't get to you anytime soon Can you reach me? Is my signal getting through? Turn on your radio I wanna talk to you This signal's going light speed By the time I get my say with well, rocket ships i need only the will to fly i'm still building word by word and i'll get out there by and by i'll get out there by and by i'll get out there i'll get out there by and by i'll get out there by and by i'll get out there